This is episode 193 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to the 2011 Winter Youth Celebration with Hugh Halter. This is session one. Hi. I'm glad that's still working. It fell off on the way to the bathroom just a few minutes ago. Anyway, how you doing? Nice to be, hey, this is my hometown. Grew up, uh, grew up in Portland my whole life. Was born here, uh, went to Clackamas High School. Okay, close. 0 and 9, our senior year in football, that was a big deal to me. Um, my grandmother, Mo, Mona Mastretti, just passed away a few days ago here. She's 97. And so it's kind of cool to come home just a few days after that has happened. I used to spend part of my summers uh, with Mo out in Sun River Bend area, Tumalo. I was playing tennis tournaments, and, and I would stay in her 13-foot trailer with her. And uh, I learned a lot about Jesus from Mo. Um, Mo, uh, I remember when I was probably eighth grade, we were over there, and her sister, Annie Ruth, was about to die. And so I went to the hospital with Mo to see Annie Ruth, and Annie Ruth woke up from kind of a coma and went, Mo, I see the angels. I'm ready to go. And Mo said, well, go on then, Annie Ruth. And right then, Annie Ruth keels. So about six months ago, I was back here in Portland. She stayed over at the Powell Villa uh, down in the hood by 82nd Powell. And, uh, And she was not doing well. She'd broken both hips. And I went to see her, and they had the orderlies holding her up. I walked in, and, and she's bent over. She's kind of like a little dandelion. She you know, can't, this is about posture right here. She was just sitting there, and she looks up, and she goes, Hugh, Hugh Tom, I'm ready to go. So I remember that. So I got in, like, catcher position. I'm like, I, t- I tell the nurses, like, get ready. She's going to die right now. <laughs> and she just sat there a few seconds. It's actually about a minute. Just silent. I was just kind of, all right. She looks up. She goes, I'm still here, ain't I? <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, she made it another, what, four or five, six months and just passed away a few days ago. So cool story. Hey, um, I am actually really glad to be here. Um, we started our first church in the Lloyd Center Mall. Anybody know where the Lloyd Center Mall is? I did Youth for Christ. Uh, in Portland for about 10 years, so I hung out with people of your age and maturity level and fun level. Um, That led us to start our first church because uh, back in those days when people came to faith in Christ, we were supposed to kind of plug them into local churches. And I found out very early that a lot of times churches don't want people that have been outside of church. And so it made uh, my wife and I kind of say, kind of screw it one day, let's just start one of these things. And so we started a church in Lloyd Center Mall in this big conference center or room right next to Victoria's Secret. And the church grew real fast. And uh, anyway, I'll tell you more of the story later. I wanted to actually give you a little bit of my story. We're going to spend a few days together. Um, I want to show you a little bit of my family. So this is Allie and McKenna. Oldest is uh, 17. Youngest is 16. And you can tell from the photo that I'm, uh, I'm in trouble, right? Okay? We've got significant problems, and that being that they're both attractive. The one on the right, many would call, would say, hot. Dads don't like the word hot. Okay? 
but Allie and McKenna both play ice hockey at a very high level, have traveled the United States. Both of them have gotten so wrecked physically that now they don't play anymore, which I'm happy about. Um, they're both extroverted, like their mother. They both talk nonstop. So when all three of them, my wife, McKenna and Allie, start talking, it's like, I liken it to like baby chicks in a nest. It's just constant. That's why having a Harley Davidson is helpful at my age. I just cruise off all the time. I take long walks all the time just to get away from them, but they're doing great, um, except for this next slide. Allie, the oldest, as you can see, is now hanging out with this young chap named Dre. Now, Dre is not my son, as you can tell from the photo. Dre is what we call a boyfriend. First one. McKenna still has not had a boyfriend yet. Um, Dre is the first dude that ever came into the house. And uh, Dre came from a pretty bad family. His dad uh, committed suicide when he was a baby. Two weeks after, his mother and sister went in a car accident, and the, his younger sister was thrown out of the car and killed. And so Dre has grown up with a couple live-in boyfriends, both alcoholics. That is still the case today. And so Dre spends three or four or five, six nights a week uh, sleeping in my office and has uh, hung around for about a year now. Um, All-state running back, ran him for about 500 yards a few weeks ago during a game. And I've grown to love him. Don't know why I didn't want to. He's still dating my daughter. And he calls me dad now which is even more troublesome because I can't kick him out. <laughs> so normally, like I'm new to this whole boyfriend thing, but I always thought hearing about this that when the boys come into the house, you actually show aggressiveness so that they know someday I can either kill you or at least keep you out of my house. And now I love him and I can't kick him out. But he can still impregnate my daughter, but I love him. <laughs> but I, you see the dilemma with that? You see what you cause, parents? I'm going to take Dre uh, over to Iowa to look at our college. Just me and Dre are going to fly out there and uh, just talk about life and about his future. Don't know if he's going to hang out with my daughter forever, but it's a weird deal. Weird deal. What's that? I lived there for six months. I still don't like him. Sorry. Going to get no love from me on that. Happened to be a Beaver fan. Sorry. Now this is, moving on to my family, this is my son Ryan. Ryan has had severe epilepsy since he was born. He used to have 30 seizures a day, every day, for years. We did a brain surgery when he was six, and that got him to where he was three or four, maybe five a day. So most of our life has been re revolved around his seizures, sometimes every hour, usually all night long. And uh, as he's grown up, uh, have any of you seen like a grand mal seizure? That's, that's the biggies where they're flopping around and a lot, a lot of times he'll wet himself after a seizure. So it's been, that's been our life. It's just one of either Cheryl or I have to be home or within 10 minute drive of the house all the time. Uh, we were off hunting in Texas right here. Uh, he thinks he's, uh, he's a crip. He, uh, He's at kind of a high mentally retarded range, so he still is hilarious, but he doesn't always get everything. Um, but he's just been a cool story for us. He now, uh, we just actually moved him out of the house about three months ago. 
uh, to an assisted living center in Illinois. It's about 350 adult disabled. And uh, it's just been a really cool story. He didn't even want to come home for Christmas. He was having so much fun. So for the last two months, our whole life has changed. My girls, uh, where I thought, you know, we would all like, you know, we're not under that pressure anymore. Uh, found my daughters sobbing the other day just because they missed their brother. Both my daughters uh, love the poor and they love the disabled and disadvantaged. It's just kind of been, not just because of him, but because of where our churches have been in the past. Um, so, here's some things about me. I like to collect crosses. Some around my neck. This one was probably my largest. So I brought this home without telling my wife one day. I said, honey, I got a new cross. She's like, oh, that's great. Come on home. I'm like, okay. Put it in the back of my daughter's Explorer. And... Uh, yeah, it took a few weeks for her to let me sleep upstairs. But I have that mounted in, in our house right now. I like, to, uh, I like to create my own food. Now, I wanted to put this up just because I know I'm in Oregon. I know in Oregon, you don't like this stuff, right? I remember that. You just eat, like, veggies and gravel and tree bark. In, in Denver, Colorado, where I'm from, we eat meat still. So I just wanted you to know that, okay? I also, actually... How'd they want to get in there? I used to like biking. I don't like biking anymore. This was a 110 mile up over Vale Pass, Copper Pass. And I, I puked just four feet away and passed out. That was my friend that took that picture. So I don't like biking anymore. Um, I like my green Jeep. And I like my, my green cool pants for fishing. And I like my green hat. I like green trees. I like hitting golf balls into churches. I like my wife. Now you can see where my daughters got their good looks. <laughs> I still don't know how, how that happened, how I got that. Somehow my wife was blinded or drunk when she dated me. So anyway, she's awesome. And I love Jesus. Not that one, though. Not that one. When I saw in Iowa, as I was driving through, about every four or five hundred yards they have this Jesus, and he tells you that you're going to go to hell about every quarter mile. <laughs> so I don't like that Jesus. But I do, um, I wanted you to get a little bit of my story, maybe, because um, I want you to be able to pull me aside in the next couple of days. You can ask me about anything. Um, there will be nothing off limits. Um, I want you to know my story because I hope that I get to know a little bit of your stories. I assume that in a room like this, you have stories. Uh, and over the next couple days, I'm going to talk to you all about concepts around being a missionary, about missional life, missional living, about God choosing and calling you to represent him and to go for him and to be a missionary. And one of the concepts in missionary life is uh, like if you take a missions class someday in college or whatever, um, they'll say that the main thing about being a missionary is you have to understand your context. Context just means story. It just means you have to know the story to which you are called. Uh, every person is their own context. And you'll watch Jesus at times. He'll talk to one person this way, and then he'll talk to another person completely different. He doesn't have this little four spiritual laws about himself. He just kind of talks to people because he knows everybody has a story. And uh, story and context is important because it helps you see things that you wouldn't normally see. And here's what I like to throw at you for the 
I think we have four or five, nine sessions together, whatever. Um, I'm going to assume that many of you, even if you've grown up in the church, have not seen Jesus yet. Um, you might have missed a lot of the story. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my context because I, even as a pastor for 15 years, I think I missed Jesus' main message. And it took me uh, a little bit to figure out. It took a woman named Fiona. So here's, here's a little bit more of the story. When we started the church here in Portland, um, it went very well. It was, uh, like I said, up in northeast Portland. We had a specific vision to see uh, white and black people come together and worship. And so it went very well. In fact, the diversity of our church drew a lot of people from the homosexual community. And we were known as the diverse church. We were on the front page of the Oregonian on Easter morning as sort of maybe a picture of what real church would be like. And it went great for about three months. And then some stuff started to happen, not with the normal people out there, but with the leaders of the church. And stuff started to get ugly. Uh, one day it even got violent in an office. And uh, I eventually said, that's not what I want to do. And so I resigned and we exiled to Eugene, Oregon. Um, but the process of leaving a community of people about this big, with many people that I had seen come to faith in Christ, um, it ripped my heart out. And I actually verbally told God, I'm done serving you. If that's how it always turns out, if this church thing always gets that bad, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a leader. I just want to be a normal guy. And so I went back to house painting and exiled down to Eugene, Oregon. Um, I took kind of a title as a consultant. I would teach other pastors about church. But inside, I was having a hard time actually uh, believing or not being angry. I don't know if any of you have ever had a bad day where you actually were mad at God. Anybody? You didn't quite get his timing. You didn't get why he says no so much, all those types of things. So um, I just basically was punting a little bit, and uh, which puts you in a dilemma when your whole life has been based on ministry and people, and all of a sudden you're not so sure. Um, and then 9-11 happened while I was down in Eugene. And uh, we were actually slated to go do a training with church leaders in Queens, New York, just to, during that time. We had to delay the trip. And then we flew into LaGuardia just about, uh, it was probably 12 days after 9-11 happened. So you could actually still smell the, the smoke. And uh, there were only six guys on my plane flying in. It was the first day the airport opened up. All of them were Middle Eastern. So that was my trip into to New York. And we would do our training with the pastors. And then at the end of the training, I would go out for dinner. And I took our staff, and I'm, a, I'm Irish by, by love, so I always try to seek out my people wherever I'm at. And I found a little Irish uh, restaurant. They call them pubs, but it was just a restaurant. Okay? And, um, and I met a waitress named Fiona. Fiona just came and waited on us, and she asked us what we were doing there. And at that point in my life, I didn't really want to talk to her about God because I was still having my issues. So when she asked me what we were doing there, I just said, oh, we're here to train leaders. And she said, well, what kind of leaders? And I said, nonprofit leaders. <laughs> and uh, she goes, oh, what, that's great. What type of nonprofits? I was like, okay, whatever, fine. Uh, Fiona, we're actually here to teach people how to start new churches. And she got a really angry look on her face. And she said, well, why would you, why would you want to help people create more of those? And I said, I catch a little attitude there. Um, has something happened? Did you grow up in church? And, and then she began to reel off uh, some pretty harsh stories. Living in Belfast, Ireland, during the revolution, 
having two of her friends killed who were in their late teenage years through Protestant Catholic religious fighting. I also found out during that generation, during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, a third of all the kids that went through the Irish school system, a third. So this many of any room in Ireland were sexually abused by the Catholic teachers, the religious teachers. She began to spew venom against organized faith and institutional religion. And I didn't know what to say, but at that point, I started to fall in love with Fiona. Like, my heart goes out for her. I wanted her to know that there was something different. And I started, without thinking, started to say, Fiona, I think all the stuff that you hate about what has happened in the world because of religious stuff, I think Jesus hates that more than you do. I think all the things that have been a bad experience for you, I think he came to create another alternative. He called it the kingdom. And she goes, what do you mean by the kingdom? And I started to make up some stuff that I had read in scripture. And I said, as far as I can tell, Jesus came uh, to bring a new way of life that would be available to anybody that would put their faith in him, that he, something could be reborn at the heart level and then it would actually change and she started to say some things that freaked me out. She started to go, tell me some more about this kingdom. And I'd make up some more stuff. And I say I made up stuff because I don't remember growing up ever hearing a sermon or a teaching or any spiritual leader ever teaching me about the kingdom of God. I always thought that the kingdom, or I, I assumed that the kingdom was after we die, right? You go to the kingdom. So I was taught that you try to get people to believe in God so that they can go to the kingdom someday. But somehow in that story, the context of that started to change the way I think. So two nights in, that's the conversation. I come back to the restaurant. Third night, first thing Fiona says, hey, um, I'm gonna wait on you guys. I'm gonna move you guys to my section. I wanna hear more about the kingdom. And so then on the fourth night, all my staff had flown home. It was just me and I was gonna fly out the next morning. And I just thought, you know, I'm gonna go say goodbye to Fiona. And uh, so I walked over through eight or 10 blocks of Queens and the Yankees were in the playoffs. Uh, this Irish pub was packed with people and I walked in and over the massive noise of the place, I heard Fiona's voice and she goes, that's the dude. That's who I was telling you about. You've gotta hear how he talks about God. And like the whole bar got quiet and there was like this big aisle down the middle and everybody moved aside and I just kind of like, oh, kind of John Wayne my, my way down. And she gathers her friend, she goes, come here, come here, sit down right here. And she, she goes, I gotta work, but tell them, tell them that stuff about the kingdom. And so I sat down with her friends, mostly 18, 19, 20, 21, clearly not of age to be in the pub. And they seemed to be as interested in the kingdom as I was. Like they'd never heard this stuff. One of them actually said, I've, I've grew up Catholic my whole life, I've never heard any of this. And so it was now about five o'clock, they let me uh, kind of close down the bar with them. I was washing dishes and drying stuff and just talking with Fiona and then I realized I was late to catch my flight so I went flying out and I remember pushing the big huge wood doors open and I just lost it lost it. It's as close to an actual conversion that I've ever had. I, I actually feel like it was when I was re-evangelized. Evangelism just means to be good-newsed. It's like all of a sudden I got like good-newsed again. It was like, 
holy cow, like these people that are so anti-church, so anti-normal Christians are so desperate and hungry to hear about the main message of Jesus, which was the good news of the what? See, maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never heard it either. We, we say the gospel, the good news. Just get the good news out to people. No, that's not, it wasn't just abstract good news. It was the good news of the kingdom. It was primary message. And so I'd always been taught kingdom is afterlife. Just try to get people into the kingdom. And all of a sudden, I'm having to, to restart, blank slate it, and go, what is the kingdom? So I just want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the kingdom. I'm going to share a few scripture with you. Um, I want you to kind of, uh, I want you, if you will, I want you to forget everything you've ever been taught in your head. Okay? And I also want to say to some of you, I'm not assuming that all of you feel like you have your faith all figured out. I hope there's some of you in this room that don't even... You don't, like, you don't even know why you're here. You thought this would just come to a hotel. Now, now they're singing about God, and you're going, time out. Can I get out of here? I hope there are some of you in here. Because um, I hope maybe tonight you'll get to start fresh hearing the right thing, the real message of Jesus. And you hopefully can decide for yourself whether or not this would be the type of God or the type of life that you would want to live. So I hope that if you don't believe in Jesus... I hope you feel safe here. I hope you feel dignified as a person. I hope you don't feel any pressure. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird, okay? I just want you to listen differently, listen new. There's a new context, there's a new story. And so I'm gonna take you to, um, really don't need a whole lot. Hopefully I had some of these on here. Did I have any? Did I point it at me? Nope, okay, probably good. I'll just read it for you. And this is at the beginning of Mark. And this is just as Jesus is getting started. So remember, he lived 30 years as a normal laborer. Some say he was a carpenter, was mostly a stonemason. He was a normal guy, 30 years. Doesn't ever say anything about God. Doesn't try to preach at people. He just says, he would have been the guy in the neighborhood you would have wanted to hung out with on Friday night, okay? says that he grew in respect with God and men. Everybody loved Jesus, the, the person. And then he starts his ministry. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me say it again. The time is fulfilled, okay? And the kingdom of God is When? He's saying the kingdom of God is after you die. The kingdom of God is at hand, okay? Which means it's, it's just about here, okay? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. And repentance just means, um, it doesn't mean that you have somebody stick their finger in your face and tell you you're gonna burn in hell. Why would somebody do that with good news? Okay, repent just means you turn around. So it's, it's like Jesus is just walking and he's talking about the kingdom. It's now at hand. Hey, turn around, repent. It just means literally you would be walking your own way, doing your own thing, and you would be stopped cold in your tracks like Fiona and you would go, time out, what did you just say? 
And then when you would hear about the kingdom, you would actually stop walking that way. You would go, oh, can I hear more? You would start, you'd be drawn to it because it's good news. Okay, let me read to you also then more specifics on the kingdom. Because someday I hope that you will have a chance to talk to people about the kingdom like I did Fiona. And that you won't just talk about the gospel, some abstract thing. That you'll, you'll talk about the way Jesus talked about it. So here's Jesus and he's, he's kind of phrasing it so people can get it. He's actually quoting out of Isaiah 61 because the entire world, the whole Jewish world was waiting for a Messiah who would come. And this was a prophecy out of Isaiah about what would happen when the Messiah would come to save the world. And now Jesus is saying this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he was, he was in the synagogue on Sabbath, so he was actually in the church reading this Isaiah scroll. So he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, listen, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what's different about the kingdom for Jesus was that it wasn't a few points of doctrine that you try to get people to buy into so that they can go to heaven someday when they kick over. He was saying, here's the kingdom. Blind people start to see. Poor people start to get help. Out of Isaiah, it's much more deliberate. It's actually longer. You should go back tonight and read Isaiah 61 because it says those that are downtrodden can't even lift their heads up. He says their face, their heads are lifted up. For Jesus, the kingdom was practical and it was now. It was not afterlife and impractical. Now, afterlife is not impractical. Afterlife is a big deal too. Agreed? Because none of us get out of here alive. Agreed? And all we have left is a long time. So afterlife is a huge part of the kingdom. And, and what Jesus will talk about is that the afterlife is when the kingdom is fulfilled. So that is still a huge part of the good news of the gospel. But for Jesus, he wanted people to know that the gospel is at hand. It starts now. Is that it can actually be tangible, touchable. It's not esoteric. It's not just some ideas. And then you go about your life. It actually calls for repentance. The gospel is a, it's almost like a parchment. Um, you, you ever seen parchment paper? It's like, you know, if you lay it over something, you can still see what's under there, but it definitely, it recolors everything. It's alongside the kingdom. So here's another, maybe some deeper ideas about kingdom. Kingdom means a domain of influence. So when Jesus is saying new kingdom coming, and it's gonna be laid alongside the normal kingdom. He was talking about there are other kingdoms at work. So there was the Roman kingdom. And if you lived in the Roman kingdom, you knew how the Roman kingdom worked. There was the Greek kingdom. There was a pagan kingdom. If you watch the news every night, you see what's called the world's kingdom. And you see what happens in the world's kingdom. You see sexual abuse. You see war. You see famine. You see strife. You see theft. You see pornography. You, you can go down the list. You see brokenness. That's the world's kingdom. It's called the kingdom of darkness. And for some reason, Jesus doesn't wipe all that out right now. 
He lays his kingdom right alongside it. And his kingdom of heaven is often, it's interesting, he'll say the kingdom of God is also called the kingdom of heaven. And all that means, he's trying to help us to understand his kingdom is just the opposite of all that other stuff you hate. It's the way it is in heaven. And so if there is no more abuse in heaven, then that kingdom is now at hand here. And so somebody that might be in an abusive situation in their home, in fact, my daughter McKenna, the younger one that you saw in there, um, just got a concussion from a young man. Um, Her best friend was in an abusive relationship as a sophomore with a young boy at the school, and McKenna would come home. She would be in tears, fearful for this young friend, and she said that she would try to step in the, in the middle of that, and we'd also talk about, you know, should she step in the middle? I said, yeah, people of the kingdom are peacemakers, so, yeah. And she'd say, I'm afraid a little bit. I'm like, I know, I'm afraid too as your dad, but I'm just gonna pray, but the kingdom is about bringing peace, so you have to step in the middle. And so she stepped in the middle of a fight about four nights ago, and the young man turned on McKenna and shoved her against the car. Concussion, she's done with hockey now the rest of her life. But that's the kingdom of heaven. The way it is in heaven is the way that we fight for it down here on earth at whatever cost. And this is why it was called the good news is because it was these Christian people were the first people that were actually gonna take all the stuff that you hate and actually make it better. Here's kind of a wild idea. Even though you would think that many of your friends are anti-God, anti-church, they are. But they're not anti-Jesus and they're not anti-kingdom. Everybody wants the kingdom to be at hand. Can you find me any of your friends that want sexual abuse to keep going? Or for war to keep happening? Or for hunger? No, everybody wants the way it is in heaven to touch down on planet earth. That's why when Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, repent, turn around, you don't have to keep living the way you guys are living, a lot of people went, thank you, finally, somebody that makes sense and they would follow him. It was called multitudes. They'd never heard this good news before. That's the kingdom. So here's where it turns to you a little bit. Kingdom, as the scripture says, is taken by force. And it says, forceful men and women lay hold of it. It's kind of an interesting deal that God, this is the part I don't get about God. I can only chalk it up to his complete perfect love that he can't force anything on anybody. Love would never do that. So you could say that why doesn't God just make the world like it is in heaven right now? If he did, then he'd be a puppet master. We'd have no free will. So ultimately, I don't know if love ever forces its way. Love can't force its way. Love has to model and call and give you everything that you need to get it done. But love has to invite. And so God actually says, I need some missionaries to go and to make the kingdom tangible to people. It's there. It's all around you guys. How many of you are friends right now that are in a bad way, okay? How many of you know people that struggle to buy groceries for the week, okay? The kingdom is at hand. Like, you can actually make a difference. If you just picked one name in your head right now and and you took what I was saying seriously and I said, go get it done. God's given you everything you need. Go buy food for that family. 
the kingdom touches down. You see, it's not rocket science. But God needs some people that are missionaries. And here's a, here's a word I just want you to get for this week. Uh, missionary or missional, all that means is to be sent. Okay, it just means to be sent. And it's the call of every Christian. Now, do most Christians live a sent life bringing the kingdom and making it tangible? No, most of the Christians I know have loved the idea of going to the kingdom someday and then they wait around and sing songs and don't get involved. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about is that every one of you gets to play a part in his kingdom and you are empowered to make it tangible for people. The story started in Genesis 12. It didn't actually start with Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of this. It started when God said to Abraham, there's a little Old Testament for you, if you ever wonder how do those two books line up together. God started this, remember he made the world perfect. The world was heaven, paradise, right? And again, his free will, he made one little apple tree that would represent free will. Gave him everything, it was perfect. They pick off of the free will apple and go, nope, we're gonna do it our way. Sin enters in, starts to screw up the world. And so Jesus then makes a way for redemption, for the kingdom. And he says to Abraham, I want you to leave your mom and dad's house. I'm gonna send you to a foreign land, a pagan land. And I'm gonna bless you. And with the blessing I give you, the whole world will be blessed through you. The word blessing actually means the tangible touch of God on somebody. So if, if I was a Hebrew or a Jewish person and I say shalom, be blessed, that actually didn't mean, hey, I hope it goes well with you after you die. It meant, I hope that you have food for your family. I hope that there's nobody that attacks you. I hope it was that God's tangible touch would happen. And so the whole Old Testament is God trying to get his people ready to be the people of blessing. So being a missionary means that you're sent, but you're sent not just to talk to people about concepts, you're sent to be a blessing. And then Jesus comes and he begins to now start the game over again. Okay, the blessing game is back on. You guys haven't heard from God for 300 years, I'm gonna now announce that the kingdom is now at hand, and then what's he start to do to people? He starts to bless. He starts to heal and touch and include people that were social outcasts. He, ch he changed the whole game. And then he said this, and I want you to hear this. I want it to be bugging you tonight while you're sleeping. When you wake up, he says, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. And then the church was born. And then guess what the church did for the first 300 years? They were a people of blessing. They, they helped people, they healed. Even after Jesus was gone, it says when the apostles would come by Clackamas, everybody in Clackamas would bring their sick out of their homes and they would put them in the street hoping that the apostles, because the people of God were the people of blessing. Is this making any sense? The kingdom of God is not just afterlife, guys. And by the way, those that changed the world through the kingdom, they were about your age. They weren't my age. Most people my age were dead, <laughs> okay? Most people that took the message and the modeling of Jesus and went, we'll do that too. You've empowered us 
They were the ones that changed the world. That's why you and I have even heard about the gospel as it was 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that sold out for the kingdom of God as missionaries. You say, well, Hugh, how do I start? Let me give you kind of a, a final picture. There's a friend of mine one day was flying into San Francisco and he said he was looking out his airplane window and he looked just like I was looking down on Portland today as I was flying in. And he said, I noticed, at least in my daydream, I noticed that the whole city was green. And he thought it was weird. And as the plane got lower and lower, he realized, oh, the whole city's not green. There are just patches of green all over the place. And as the plane got even lower, he realized, oh, it's not even really patches of green. It's, um, it's like those the little points of green are moving all over the place. He says the plane came down, he realized the green wasn't just nebulous. The green was people. And as he got out of the plane and moved through uh, just sort of the hallways, he had this vision that, that these green people, when they would brush up next to somebody, all of a sudden that green would stick to that person. That person would keep walking, sometimes unknowingly. And it would touch somebody else. And he likened that to the kingdom of God. The kingdom, even though it's taken by force, and forceful young men and women lay hold of it, it's not something that you go and you grab your friends by the collar and you go, you gotta believe in the kingdom. The kingdom is something that in Jesus' day, he went and he just lived. And people followed because they liked, it was good news of what would happen around his life. When you think about just getting started with the kingdom, think about just one person that you can rub up against and bless. You're sent to be a blessing. So you find one friend, you go, I know they're, they're downtrodden. I'm just gonna write them a note just to encourage them, tell them how much I appreciate. Right there, kingdom has just become at hand. If it's like my daughter, maybe you have something that's a little bit harder. One of your friends is in really bad shape. Bringing the kingdom at hand might be that you step in and you bring peace where there's not peace. It might be a friend of yours that's struggling with some addictive deal. It's not just that you pray for him anymore. The kingdom doesn't just, it's interesting that where Jesus is teaching us even how to pray, he'll say, pray this way, guys. Pray thy kingdom come. Listen, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. That's how Christians are to walk, is that we find something that's not right, and we start to say, Father, the way it is in heaven, would you bring it to pass here? And intercession actually means, interceding just means that you go, if this young man is in trouble, I go to God on behalf of him, offering myself as an answer to that prayer. That's true intercession. That's a kingdom missionary. So when you find a friend, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be a friend. You find a young woman like I did on the street corner. You ever get tired of people just standing there on the corner? It's okay, like when they're 60 or 70, you figure they're jacked up or mentally ill, so it's normal. But the other day, I, I see what looked like a 14 or 15-year-old girl. It didn't seem right or normal. So I stopped, and I just said, what do you need? And we just talked for a while. Got her in a car, drove her where she said she needed to go. Whatever you find to do, that is not right and you pray and then you act on behalf of that, you have made the kingdom tangible. 
So we're going to start with the kingdom tonight, or later on tonight we're going to talk about the king. Is, are, is this a decent start? Is this framing this for you? I want you to stop thinking about just trying to talk to people about God. I want you maybe to start going, I want to live the way of the kingdom first. I went back to try to find Fiona a few years ago. I was back in New York. I thought, I talk about her so much, I want to go see her again. I went back into the pub, and I remembered the, the owner, and I asked the owner, I said, hey, is Fiona still working here? And he said, I, we've never had a Fiona that worked here. I'm like, no, you did. You did. I, I spent four days getting to know her, and, and he goes, sir, I've, I, I've owned this bar for 30 years. We've never had a woman named Fiona. I was kind of bummed at first, and then I walked out. You, you ever heard that scripture where it talks about when you're hospitable, you might actually be entertaining angels? And I, I, I almost wonder if God curveballed me. If maybe Fiona was an angel. That's, that's real, that stuff's real. That God sends people to change the way we see and think about everything. I wonder if my Fiona story is God knowing that he's about to lose Hugh Halter because of organized religion. I've got to help him see the real deal. And he throws a little Fiona in my face. And Fiona teaches me about the kingdom. It screwed me up so bad, I called my wife that morning. I left the bar with Fiona. I said, we have to move again. That's why we moved from Eugene, Oregon. And Cheryl said, well, where are we going? I said, I don't know. Where do you want to live? And she goes, well, what are we going to do first? I said, I don't know. I just want to live like a missionary, and I want to learn to live in the kingdom. And she goes, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but if I have to pick, I'd like to go to Denver. I said, well, why Denver? She goes, I like John Elway. So two months later, we moved our whole family to Denver, Colorado. I called two friends of mine that I thought were thinking about the same thing. I said, why don't we all move to Denver and be a, a small little mission, missionary team? And let's just try to make the kingdom tangible. And we just started to do that. We never thought about starting a church. We never thought about anything. We just, let's just learn this ourselves. So we started on our street, and then we started in the hockey world, and then every day I went down to Starbucks with my friend Matt, started to meet people in Starbucks, and pretty soon our, our house was full of people from all those contexts, all those stories. And now there's a church in Denver that's quite large, and it's all because we've never tried to play church, we just have tried to make the kingdom tangible. Everywhere we go, anybody that has need, we try to meet it. And it seems as though God just has done something really cool. So I, I pray that you will rethink everything. You won't line up Jesus with church or organized religion. You, you will just see the kingdom. So let me pray for you. Lord, um, God, I love you and I, I thank you for um, tricking me back into the real deal. I don't know how I missed your main message in 25 years of full-time ministry. I never told one Youth for Christ student about the kingdom. I never heard anybody else tell me about it. So I, I recognize that even if we grow up in church, we can be blind to the real deal.
So I would pray for every, everybody here next couple days that um, you would capture their imagination with how good you are and how powerful your kingdom is, your domain, and that you design your domain to win out over the domains of darkness, and that we are your missionaries. So I pray that over each person here, that they would hear that. In Jesus' name, amen.